first episode of The Build, uh, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Thanks for joining. Um, I don't know how you got here. If you follow me on Twitter, thanks. If someone shared this and you found them, thank them, I guess, for me. Um, sort of an intro of sorts, uh, I think, is necessary here. I know you may have listened to the trailer. If not, I'm going to kind of explain what's going on here. Um, so first of all, my name's Ian Boisvert. I'm the deputy editor at rabbithabs.com. Um, I've been there, I think, since 2013 at this point. Um, I now own the domain, so that's my website. That was never the the uh, original intention with that. I started as a staff writer, and I think I just outlasted everybody, just stuck around a little longer than I probably should have, and that uh, that ended up with me purchasing the domain, or, you know, getting the domain and, and, and uh, keeping that going. So um, that's my baby. I love Rabbit Habs. Um, somewhat regular podcaster as well. I, I host um, the the Nosebleeds podcast when I when I can. We haven't done that in forever. I almost feel like I'm lying saying that I host that podcast. Um, if you've heard me elsewhere, thanks for listening to those. I know I, I've done some guest hosting spots on Locked on Canadians for my friends uh, Laura and Scott. And if you're not subscribed to them, you ought to be. Um, they're one of the best in the biz at what they do. Um, and then I guess in short, I've just I've been a Canadiens fan for about 15 years now. My first season watching the Canadiens was I can't remember the exact number or the exact year, but it was the year that they needed to beat Toronto on the last day of the season. I think they just needed a point to get into the playoffs. And Michael Ryder had a hat trick, and the Canadiens ended up losing in like the final minutes of the third period. Um, I think Matt Sundin had the goal to to send the Canadians uh, home packing for the year. Um, and on top of that, Toronto celebrated like they'd won the Stanley Cup, and then they, they didn't even get into the playoffs that year because I think the the Islanders won the next day in a shootout. So it was even funnier that way. But, you know, that's enough about I hate talking about myself, so that'll be the end of that. Um, and apologies for the background noise. I'm in my attic. Um, I live right off of what shouldn't be a main road, but it seems to be frequented by a lot of uh, loud vehicles, especially at this time of day. So apologies for that. Um, so the build is sort of an idea I had. Um, you know, I wanted to document the the Mark Bergevin era of the Canadians pretty well. I, I ultimately fell off of that just because of a lot of the things that happened during that, that uh, tenure. I'll get into a little bit of that shortly, because unfortunately, in order to cover the, the the new regime, I feel like it's necessary to at least see what spot we're in because of the old regime. Um, so I want this to be sort of a catalog of whatever the Canadians are doing from now until they're successful again. Um, it'll catalog their, you know, they haven't put a term on it yet of a rebuild slash retool slash reset. Um, we'll sort of figure that out over the coming weeks. In fact, I think we've already kind of gotten some indication of which direction they're heading, thanks to the news of today, which I'll get into a little bit, but that's not for this episode. Um, so I'm going to cover this organization, um, even if it goes beyond Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, um, until they're done building. And, you know, what that means to me is when they win a Stanley Cup, Sure, you're not done after you win a Stanley Cup, but that's the goal of all of this, right? Is is we're not gearing ourselves towards winning a cup. What are we doing? So that's when this ends. This podcast is over when the Canadians win a Stanley Cup. I realize the uh, kind of 
uh, comedy in that, in the situation that they're currently in. Um, they are nowhere close to a Stanley Cup, but that's fine. I've got nothing but time at this point. Um, yeah, it's a gimmick. Uh, I'm not above a gimmick. You know, I need to give you guys something to, to keep coming back for. So, um, you know, if you like the show, you'll listen. If you don't, you'll at least cheer for the Canadians so I go away. Um, so I can't blame you for that. The build is going to be less about day-to-day results, at least, you know, in the early going. There's no reason for me to give you day or game recaps um, based on games that the, ultimately the result of doesn't matter. Um, and it might not matter next year either. At least the result, um, the, the, the box score at the end, um, what I'll be watching for and what I think a lot of people are watching for are just improvements in the guys that we think are going to be around long term. The Nick Suzuki's, the Cole Caulfield's, potentially the Alex Roman or Romanoff's. Um, you know, we're not, I'm not so concerned about final scores, standings, anything of that variety, at least right now. That could change over the, the course of the next few seasons. At least I hope it does. Um, but there's no... That won't be a, a, a that won't be a feature of this podcast at least for the, the foreseeable future. Um, so it's mostly going to be about how they take what they have now and build a contender out of it, and how they if they get to that point, which is never a given, especially given some of the rebuilds we've seen in the National Hockey League over the last you know ten years or so. Um, how they turn themselves from a contender to ultimately a champion. Um, I know that that probably is going to involve a lot of prospect work, a lot of knowledge about the prospects on this team. I'm not a prospect expert. I'll never claim to be. Um, So I'm going to try. I'm going to do research and find people that I trust to give me advice on how how prospects are doing and provide that to you with with in the context of how I think that helps the Canadians build for the future. Um, I think a lot of people who talk about prospects are um, you know, a little bit of snake oil salesman when it comes to, um, you know, hockey prospects. Most of the time, people are just looking at eliteprospects.com, looking at their page, going, see, he scored over a point per game in his, in his you know, draft-eligible year. Well, half the kids that are drafted can boast that. Um, you know, so it's not, I'm not a prospect expert. I'm going to try. Um, and hopefully I'll have some guests. I've been fortunate enough to make some friends in this in this field over the last few years. Um, you know, some of them I've been on their shows. I'd like to have them on here just to talk a little bit more informally about what, what the Canadians are, are looking to do. Um, and just, you know, I'm open to suggestions. You know, what, what are the kinds of things you guys want to hear? I'd, I'd be, you know, all ears to try to figure out how to bring a show to you guys that makes, um, makes you want to come back and listen to more. So that's sort of, the build in a nutshell. Um, it's going to evolve as the Canadians evolve. I can't sit here and say that we're going to be talking about rebuilds and resets four years from now. At least I hope we're not. Um, so, you know, that'll evolve. And I think that'll sort of be interesting to see how um, I can keep things fresh and keep talking about the Canadians in the long term with the ultimate goal of winning a Stanley Cup in mind. And with that said, um, I, I hinted at it earlier. I think before we, before I talk about, you know, 
Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, because I think that's going to be next week's episode, is for focusing on what what kind of hockey team they want to build. Um, I think it's important to look back and, you know, they're not winning a Stanley Cup in the next few weeks, so I, I feel relatively comfortable saying we can focus on that for the time being uh, and then and then bring ourselves into the more modern day, um, you know, goings on with the Canadians. But, you know, and I'm not going to harp on this guy the entire length of this podcast however many years it goes but we do we do have to start with what Mark Bergevin left behind for Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes my first question you know when he was fired when Mark Bergevin was let go as general manager and executive vice president of the of hockey operations for the Canadians my first question was, did he leave this team in a better shape than he found it back in 2012? My gut response is no. Um, and for a lot of reasons, I've, 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 you know, I actually make notes for this podcast. So, you know, I have some ideas of what I, I thought at the time. I just jotted things down. And then I went and found more things that kind of illuminated a little bit more that, you know, he was kind of given a really great start to building something in Montreal, which he, he did come close to achieving, you know, the ultimate goal of winning a Stanley Cup on two occasions, which is, you know, in the modern day NHL, it's not, that's not something to just, you know, thumb your nose at. But let's start with, with what he had in 2012. First, he, he comes on board in the summer of 2012, and he has the third overall pick in the 2012 draft. Um, you can say that he botched that pick. I mean, you look at the rest of that draft year, especially the first round, especially the early first round. I think Morgan Riley is going to ultimately be the best player to come out of that 2012 draft. And he went, I think, two spots behind Galchenyuk. I think he went five. He might have gone four. I don't have that in front of me. Um, but he had a, a good a good young piece to start his the Canadians' rebuild with. Um but it wasn't much of a rebuild. He had Carey Price, you know, peak Carey Price on a good contract. He had P.K. Subban on a good contract. He had Max Pacioretty on a great contract. Um, he had entry-level Brendan Gallagher. Um, he had rookie Brendan Gallagher, and he had him through his entry-level deal while the Canadians were competing in the playoffs. Um, one thing that I think gets forgotten in a lot of this, too, is he... He got two compliance buyouts when he started. Um, you know, well, not when he started. Obviously, he took over in 2012 in the summer, and then they couldn't come to an agreement as, as the NHL and the Players Association couldn't come to an agreement to play their season, so there was a lockout. Um, if that lockout dragged into the new year. That The 2012-13 season should really just be the 2013 season because it was 48 games all played in the calendar year 2013. And... You know, one of the concessions of that lockout was that the, the salary cap was going to drop by $10 million. So each team was given two compliance buyouts that they could use on any player. The player would still get paid just as if it was a normal, a normal buyout. But the, the team wouldn't be charged any cap penalty for it. It was completely absolved from their cap. So Mark Bergeron used that wisely as... An opportunity to get two really, really gross contracts off the books. Um, 
he bought out Scott Gomez. Not not immediately. Um, he, you know, Scott Gomez was uh, told to just go home for the summer and they'd buy him out at the end of the year. I think they they would owe him less money with that being the case. Um, and Thomas Caverley was bought out as well. That's about uh, almost $12 million, $11.5 million in cap space. Now, remember, $10 million of that was dropped off just from the concession from the uh, CBA negotiation. But that's still about a million and a half that he got to just get rid of for free on top of that. He didn't cost him an asset. Um, and just generally speaking, it was probably best to get those guys out. Um, so he had some, you know, some financial flexibility to start with. Um, obviously had some decent runs. The two best, um, two of the best three runs in my lifetime as a Canadians fan came under Mark Bergman um, in 2014. He went, he took them to the, I shouldn't say he took them. He's a general manager. The team he built um, went to the Eastern Conference final. Um, it was a really likable team too. I remember being, you know, that's sort of the peak of my fandom as, as you know, we had P.K. Subban doing just incredible things early on in his in his Canadiens career. Um, Carey Price was just electric. Um, and he took some swings with that team, too. He 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 got Thomas Vanek at the trade deadline. Um, you know, people often look back on that guy as a Canadian and say that he didn't perform all that well. But you look at his playoff numbers and he he performed. Um I think the Canadians just kind of ran out of magic towards the end, and they ran into Henrik Lundqvist, who was phenomenal in that conference final, and of course, the Chris Kreider crashing into Carey Price, um, you know, incident kind of puts a black eye on that playoff series. Um, a lot of the Canadians' playoff series ended, or playoff hopes ended when Carey Price suffered some kind of injury. Um, you know, to no fault of Mark Bergman's, people say, well, you can't build a, a, a team around just a goalie, but you know, it, I I challenge you to find a team in this league with an elite goalie who, if they lost that goalie in the playoffs, they would be just fine. It's it's rare. Um, so I don't fault him for the way that that team was built and they lost. They had a, a decent run. The problems were the next few, few years. Um, you know, 2015, 16, those eras of Canadians. 2015 was just... I mean, that's the team you can blame him for building around Carey Price because there seemed to be absolutely nothing on that team that was propelling them to success quite like Carey Price was. That was the Vesna Hart, Ted Lindsay year for Carey Price. Um, that team could not score their way out of a wet paper bag. You look back, I mean, that was classic Michelle Terry in hockey. They were going to try to score two goals and try to win the game. And, you know, with Carey Price in that, they probably had a really good shot of winning that hockey game. Um, so that's, you know, the the fun runs are the ones that stick in our memories the most, just as an emotional, from an emotional standpoint as a fan. But those 15, that, that 15 Canadians was sort of, those were the, that's the team I remember when I think of Mark Bergman, unfortunately. Um, you know, outside of obviously the Stanley Cup final run, which seems funny to say as a an afterthought, but that's kind of what it is at this point. At this point, is you know they aren't any closer to winning a Stanley Cup now, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, and you know that run was a lot of fun. It was kind of an empty calorie run at the end of it, though, right? Like you hope as much as you hope 
your team can win one Stanley Cup in your lifetime. You'd like to see them have some level of consistency in their success. Um, you know, Mark Bergevin, unfortunately, um, you know, if you count this season as teams that he built, which I do, he missed the playoffs five out of the ten years that, that you know, teams that he built took the ice. Um, you're competitive half the time, which, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, is unacceptable. Um, it's part of the reason why we, you know, fans were so loud about getting rid of him is that, you know, it's not an acceptable way for the Canadians to do business. Um, you know, we talk about those decent runs in 2014 and 2021, but he also, you know, finished so poorly uh, that he, he, he grabbed two top 10 picks, one of them being the third overall pick. Um, and neither of those picks are playing for the Canadians anymore. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev, the, I believe he was the ninth overall pick in 2016. He's not with Montreal anymore. He was traded for Jonathan Drouin in a trade that I think has been panned since the day it happened. And obviously the 2018 third overall pick in Jesperi Kotkaniemi was offersheeted by the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, I still firmly believe that this was some sort of revenge plot, um, but not one that I'd necessarily blame them for. The Canadians tried to offersheet their guy. If I was in that situation, I'd probably try to offersheet one of their guys too um, and do a better job of it than Mark Bergman did, which is what the Carolina Hurricanes did. Um, at least with that one, the Canadians received some pieces in return for that offersheet. But it's not like they took those those assets and, and did anything remotely remarkable with them. Um, Christian Dvorak was acquired for a first over our first round pick and I believe a second round pick uh and he has been I mean he's been bad it, it hasn't and that's a player that I I was very vocal about wanting but then they it was very clear they overpaid for him and then he hasn't really amounted to much on this team um as you could say anything else has in you know the way that this Canadian season has unfolded there's not a lot of value in any of the guys that are currently playing on this team. So, you know, you look at the successes and you can see, well, they won seven playoff rounds, which, you know, isn't a lot over the course of a decade. It's less than one a year. Um, and it looks even worse when you consider that three of those playoff round victories came in one season. And two of them came in one other season. Um, so, you know, you're not, you're not looking at a level of consistent success in this league, um, for a guy who came from a Chicago Blackhawks team who, despite everything they did horrific, horrifically off the ice, they built a consistent hockey team on the ice. And I don't say that to absolve them of the, <laughs> the awful things that they've done. Um, just more of a way to remind everybody that that team really did trade, uh, a whole chunk of their morality for a Stanley Cup ring. Um, and it just felt like under Mark Bergeron, the Canadians had no real direction, no real goal in mind. Um, I had often criticized Mark Bergeron on rabbithabs.com about how he, he seemed to mistake hoping for something, hoping to, you know, getting into the playoffs and hoping that they can make some noise. He seemed to confuse that for an, a tangible goal for this hockey team. At least, 
And again, that might not be what he's telling his guys behind the scenes, but he's what he's telling us, and that's all we really have to go by. Um, so I, I always thought that he was he was very light in the goals department, both on the ice and off. But, you know, he he never really had an idea, a firm plan of what he wanted to do with this team, and he never stuck to it for longer than a season, it seemed like. Um, you know, I remember the year that they that they traded Galchenyuk for Max Domi, and then that team came in the next year, and I think they had 94 points, and they still missed the playoffs just because of how things sh- shook out in the Eastern Conference. You know, that was the year they were going to be fast and, and fun and entertaining, and they were going to score goals, and they did. And all that stuff was true. And then the next season, that went away. So, you know, it's not... it. it it's very hard to look back on the Bergevin tenure in Montreal and think that he built anything of any sort of consistency, you know, something along the lines of a Pittsburgh Penguins team that is just consistently great, or a Boston Bruins team who, you know, you can look at them. I I tend to look at the Bruins as a little bit more of an achievable model. You, you don't know, you know, the... Sidney Crosby's a once in a in in a you know I'm not gonna say generation but once in a ten year span type of player. You're not gonna get him at every draft. The Bruins don't get him at every draft, and yet they're still they've been consistently great for a decade now. Um, they've had one Stanley Cup win in 2011. Uh, you know they they beat the Canadians en route. And they've gone back to the final twice and lost in kind of dramatic fashion both times. But at least they've been there. There's a level of, of you know, pride in the way that that team operates and that they sort of expect to always be in that conversation. That is, under Mark Bergeron, that was never part of the equation. It was never expected that the Canadians would be a perennial playoff contender and a perennial playoff shit disturber. And then you you know you start to look into a lot of the other things that that he said, you know, in the media about. Well, you know, he he never inspired any sort of confidence in his drafting ability. Um, first of all, they just never they just never drafted well under Mark Bergman. It was, it's a bad record, and I guess that's why Trevor Timmons is also, you know, not within the organization. Um, but you know, the attitude that he had towards free agency and how he would always say in a very defeatist way, like, I can't make people come here. Well, Arizona is able to sign free agents. People go there. People go elsewhere. You know, you have to find a way. I I was always very, that, I was always very frustrated that he just always seemed to throw his hands up. When things got hard, he just threw his hands up. When, When Shea Weber, you know, retired, he didn't find a replacement for him. He just kind of threw his hands up knowing he was on his way out. Um, you know, the, the trading thing was always the same, too. He would, he would throw his hands up and say, oh, it's not as easy as PlayStation, which is a very, you know, Canadians fans, ho- you know, Montreal hockey fans in general are a very, very intelligent brand of hockey fan. They know what they eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. I always found him to be very condescending and very, uh, you know, just very defeatist in the way that he handled improving his hockey team, which was his job. Um, and then, of course, I mean, I, I can't 
go without saying this, and I've harped on it since, you know, forever. But he, he came in and he tried to inspire this idea of character and culture within the organization, and none of his actions spoke to that. Um, none of his actions were reminiscent of, of, of somebody who understands what character and culture is. I'm going to name exactly zero examples because they're out there. You can go find it if you're still one of those people who doesn't understand why people think that Mark Bergeron's character shtick was nonsense. You have to go look for that yourself. At this point, it is, it is beyond anybody trying to teach you about that. And that goes for just about anything in hockey. If you're still wondering, like, what's wrong with, with what the Blackhawks did? Or, or you know, what's wrong with, with X, Y, and Z about hockey culture? You have to go learn that stuff. It's not, on, it's not anybody's responsibility to teach you this. And I've written about it extensively for, the, for, for Rabbit Habs. If you want to, you can go look there. So that's sort of where we sit um, now. There, he's gone. Um, you know, the new management, uh, Jeff Gordon, obviously, is the executive vice president of hockey operations. And uh, Ken Hughes is the general manager. They sp essentially split Mark Bergeron's role into two people. Um, so, you know, we're talking about building. That was, that's the past. I will not harp on that anymore. You have my word. The future of this team is what I'm really, really concerned about. I'm, I'm leaving the past behind us. So what does the new organization or the new regime have to build around? There seem to be two players in mind here who are shoe-ins to be part of that build. Uh, it's Nick Suzuki and it's Cole Caulfield. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a Canadiens fan who disagrees with those two being part of the long-term uh, outlook of this hockey team. Um, you can you could probably talk me into a trade for literally anybody else on that roster. Um, Alex Romanoff is right there. He's right on the cusp. But if you made me a trade for him that made some sense, that that like overpaid for him, I wouldn't say no. Um, and I hope that Kent Hughes and, and, you know, Jeff Gordon are keeping an open mind to that sort of thing. I think they are. Um, these are two really good hockey players. Um, we saw a little bit with Cole Caulfield in the playoffs last year and the, the regular season before, and we're starting to see him find that game again under Martin St. Louis. Um, he's still very young he's still very raw he still needs a lot of coaching but there's flashes there of an elite offensive talent and Nick Suzuki is also that he has he's the you know the one player on this team I think he'll finish the year with the most games played on the Canadians I think he's still on pace to finish the year with a career high um, in points that is so it's not as much as this is a lost year for the team competitively, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a lost year for them developmentally. Um, Caulfield obviously had some struggles that I think had to do a lot with the way that the previous coach wanted him to play. Or, or you know, I, I think a lot of it too is just the expectation on him coming into this season was really tough. Um, that, I'm kind of, I'm not throwing this year away, but I'm not harping on it. 
I don't think this is what any of those, either of those players are. And if you're starting from scratch, just from those two players, um, you know, that gives those two guys a lot of space to carve out an identity for themselves or any of the younger guys that come in, you know, before the end of the season or early next season, they have a lot of room to, you know, make the Montreal Canadiens their team. I, you know, I have no doubts that Nick Suzuki is going to keep doing that. I'm hoping that they put Cole Caulfield in positions to become that kind of player. Um, I don't know how successful he'll be. You know, if you put him in the right spot and he can't figure it out, that's on him. But I worried that, that this season they did not do that adequately with him. Um, you know, that's why, you know, with with the new regime coming in, you know, you... you you're not going to see a lot of free agency signings, at least big numbers, coming in. You're going to see maybe some small role players to fill some spots, to maybe fill out a roster just so you can flip them at the deadline. At least, at least for the next two seasons, I think that's what you're going to have to get used to. Um, so, outside of building a hockey team, the new management has to build essentially a whole new hockey operations department. Um, you know, there are still some players around or some some people in the front office who are there under Mark Bergevin. Um, there are... There's a lot of room to grow, though. There's a lot of room for new faces. And, you know, I think... The one thing I'd really like to see from them, the hockey is the hockey. These guys, I trust them to build a hockey team. Um, you know, whether or not that hockey team is going to win a Stanley Cup, it's neither here nor there. But one thing I think we need to have our trust rebuilt on is the idea that the Montreal Canadiens can be a stand-up organization again. They can be an organization that has a, a, a tangible culture that is not toxic. I feel like there was a lot of toxicity in the previous organization that needs to be sort of rectified under this new regime. I think I think Jeff Gordon or Jeff Molson knows that as well at this point. I think the backlash to a certain draft pick last year has led him to believe that he needs to make some changes internally. Um, and I use the word culture because the word character under Mark Bergevin it was subjective. The culture cannot be subjective. It cannot be one person dictating what, you know, a good culture is. There needs to be a, div a diverse cast of voices who are giving that opinion. And that's something that, that you know, Jeff Molson mentioned when he hired um, Jeff Gordon. And I can read the quote from him directly. He says, we have a pretty diverse group of people and many diversity programs on the business side. But on the hockey side, there's a big opportunity to introduce different perspectives into the organization. It's not easy to do, but it is certainly a priority. Now, the first thing I, I remember thinking when he said that was this guy is a salesman because he's, 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 he is shipping a lack of diversity as an opportunity. He's selling you on something positive. He turned a lack of diversity into a positive asset for the Montreal Canadiens, which is just kind of bananas when you think about it that way like I'm, I'm I'm like I wish someone was like dude what are you talking about like this isn't good um and to be fair we haven't seen that yet um you know diversity means a lot of different things 
I remember Mark Dumont when they were when they were uh, after the Jeff uh, Gordon press conference introducing him. I believe Mark Dumont was streaming for the Canadians and said that you know there's gender diversity, which is hiring men and women, and you know maybe non-binary folk as well. Um, but it's also racial diversity. You know, I'm looking at pictures of the Canadians' front office right now, what's left of them, and they're all white people. That's not representative of the area. It's not representative of Montreal. It's not. Re- it shouldn't be representative, and it shouldn't be representative of hockey. So we, they have some work to do in building an actual diverse hockey operations department. The good news is, there's room for that to happen. They have no assistant general managers at the time of me recording this. Um, they have Jeff Gorton and Kent Hughes, obviously. They have John Sedwick, who's the vice president of hockey operations and legal affairs. They have Martin Lapointe, who's the director of player personnel and amateur scouting. And they have Sean Burke, who's the director of goaltending. That's their hockey operations department. The coaching staff might change next season, so there may be some. There may be a rotating door there. There's an opportunity to get actual diverse voices in there, but you know, for Jeff Molson to say, we need to have, we need to introduce more more diversity into our hockey operations department, into our hockey team, and then hire Jeff Gordon, Ken Hughes, and Martin Saint Louis. It leaves a little to be desired, especially when someone we thought was was being interviewed for the Canadians GM job in Emily Castingay, who ultimately wasn't interviewed for the Canadians job, took an assistant general manager position in Vancouver. I have a strong hunch that if there was to be some sort of inclusion of women in this organization, I'm thinking that the reason it hasn't happened yet is because maybe they're involved A, in another NHL team, or B, they're in Beijing right now at the Olympics. So it could go, there's, I'm I'm still holding my breath. We have not seen it yet. It doesn't mean we won't see it, but to say that the Canadians have, have checked that box would be incorrect. So now we get to what I think is going to be the final part of just about every episode of this that I do, which is the question. Every week, uh, we'll get to this point where I'll ask this question to myself and potentially any guest that's on the podcast. Um, on November 28th, the Canadians hired Jeff Molson to be executive vice president of hockey operations. Today, are the Canadians any closer to winning a Stanley Cup? And the week this answer is, this week the answer I should say is no. They're not any closer. And it's, that answer is likely going to be no for a very long time. Um, right now they're still working backwards. The, the, the teardown has barely started from a coaching standpoint, from a player standpoint. Um, I would say the teardown from a hockey operation standpoint is quite, is basically finished and they're starting to build now actually. Um, but to start with coaching, Dom Ducharme is just one piece and they fired him and they brought in Martin Saint-Louis. Um, who I'll discuss in a later episode once we sort of get an idea of what he's doing behind the bench and, you know, there's actually a body of work there because I don't know if you guys know this, he has absolutely zero experience behind an NHL bench other than the the, the couple of games that he's coached so far. Um, he might not even be the long-term coach. And I, Mike is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that sentence because I, 
I do believe that the Canadians hired him with the intention of making him the long-term coach of this hockey team, but it is still a trial basis right now. Um, I think he's going to he's going to end up getting that job, and I'll discuss that at a later point. But you know, I I think that they hired him for a reason. But at this at this point, it's still just a trial. Um, more parts are on the way out. On um, the coaching staff, I I would have to believe that they're not bringing this entire assistant um, core back. But also, the roster is obviously going to change between now and next season. The season after that, there's going to be a lot of turnover. I wouldn't buy a jersey with a name and number on the back of it. Um, you know, today Tyler Toffoli was traded. And I'm going to discuss the totality of their of the, the pieces they bring in from the trade deadline to see how it impacts their ability to actually build a a formidable team in the future because, you know, I would like to kind of take that as a haul to see how Kent Hughes manages his first trade deadline as a rebuilder. Um, but what that signals to me that that to Foley trade is that you know he had two years left on his deal after this one at a pretty decent cap hit, about four point two five million dollars a year. And the Canadians jumped at the opportunity to pick up a you know two two draft picks, a a thirty year old NHL bottom six forward. And uh, a prospect who, you know, again, I'm not a prospects guy. I'll, I'll share more information when I find it. Um, you know, it, it goes to tell me that the Canadians are at least saying we're not going to be competing for the next two years. So Tyler Toffoli, thanks for everything. Good luck in Calgary. I don't think it tells me anything more than that. People are saying, oh, this signals the rebuild. It might. But it might also just be this is two years. Now, when we start trading a guy like Brendan Gallagher, who's got six years left, Jeff Petrie's kind of a different scenario because we, you know, he's obviously not very happy in his current situation in Montreal. But you know, Gallagher, a play, or a player like Gallagher, is more of a canary in the coal mine for me because, yeah, he's got term and they could possibly be competitive at the end of that. But those are hard miles on that guy. Um, I don't. I don't see him as a guy who would be part of a rebuild. So if they are rebuilding, I would imagine it's because it's 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 a guy like him who's on the way out. The front office, like I said, isn't complete, so we're still waiting on that. There's assistant GMs to be hired. Um, but and this is you know as much as I've harped on the negative of the past tenure and what's gone wrong with this team. I think once this season is over, we are through the worst of this. Um, and, you know, I think that's partially because next year, if they're bad, it will be intentionally. It will be, look, we have to take a step back, play our young guys, and we're going to be bad. And that's fine. I also think there's a good possibility that next year, just the law of averages these guys sort of regress to the mean a little bit. Maybe they stay a little bit healthier. Now, I'm not saying that they'll stay so healthy that they make the playoffs. I, I highly doubt that. But, like, we haven't seen Joel Edmondson all season. You know, there's guys on this team who were supposed to play for them this year who have not. Um, we just got Paul Byron back a few weeks ago. So there's, there's 
there's reason to believe that, uh, you know, at the end of April when this season is over, we will have seen the worst Canadians team of all time, and we probably won't touch that again for a very, very long time. But at the same time, part of this podcast is going to just be understanding what's going on around us. So I'm, I'm not, I'm going to temper my excitement towards a rebuild slash reset slash retool slash, you know, getting hyped about every prospect that, that they bring into the organization from now until, you know, the end of Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon in Montreal. We don't know where this is headed. Prospects at a certain level are, at least when it comes to the Canadians, are a, a bit of magic beans just because they have not been able to draft and develop properly. And we haven't seen their development system yet. We haven't seen them set that up. They, you know, Jeff Gorton talked about, um, you know, the development and building out a good structure for how players are developed at the NHL level, at the AHL level, and sort of marrying those two. They said they're going to, you know, Jeff Mo- or Jeff Gorton, there's too many Jeffs. Jeff Gorton said he, you know, he wants to build out an analytics department. Um, right now, if you follow um, Shana Goldman, um, she tweets regularly about you know the the analytics department of every nhl team right now the canadians have three people that she considers to be an analytics department now that's public facing she and she acknowledges that that it's not an exhaustive list but it's what we know publicly that needs to grow um the game is moving in a way where if you the canadians need to try to find any sort of competitive advantage they can under a, a salary cap system and one way you do that is by hiring the best minds in sports science analytics and and giving your team a competitive advantage in the way they play instead of who is playing for them that's something that you could start doing now to give guys like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki and Alexander Romanov a chance to understand the game at a different level and to, to help them build a system or a structure moving forward that they'll be able to build players around and those three can be leaders moving forward. It's understandable, given the situation we're in, um, both hockey and otherwise, to want to look at the, the, the most positive potential outcome. You know, the guy that, the you know, the, the first round pick that the Canadians got for Tyler Toffoli He's going to be the next Phil Deneau. You know, it's easy to, to put that into your brain. But we just don't know that's true. Um, you know, I'm going to temper my excitement, temper my expectations, and try to look at this team and see exactly what's happening. So, you know, with that, I hope you, you'll you'll come along. Um, if you liked this, share it. Uh, I'm hoping to get these out on Monday nights. So you'll have it for a Tuesday commute or a late Monday night listen if that's more your speed. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. Um, you can follow at Rabbit Habs for more um, written content. Sometimes we have videos. Um, one of our contributing writers, Ryan Prout, just had a video on the instant analysis of the Tyler to Foley trade. So you can check that out there. Um, also, I write for a thing called the Hockey Newsletter. I, it's something that um, I think. My friends who write for that would would appreciate this. It is the dumbest thing I've ever done. It's um, it's it's shit posting. Um, the most recent edition I wrote about um, fanatics gift cards, 
and I bought a bunch of garbage with a Fanatics gift card. Um, uh, my friend Katie wrote about uh, hockey jerseys that look like Pop-Tarts, if that's, if that's something you're into. And um, my buddy Ryan wrote about, or he, I should say he ranked the NHL All-Star Game logos. Uh, and there's some there's some uh, really ugly ones in there, so you should check those out. Uh, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and you're hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check out the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his stuff. Um, like I said, this will be weekly, so thanks for listening. If you come back, I'll see you next week. See ya.